this morning I want to focus our attention on the grace and mercy and forgiveness of the Lord. What a great thing to focus on the start of a new year. And I want to encourage us all to live in the joy of God's forgiveness throughout the year that is ahead. To intentionally live in the joy of God's forgiveness in the year that is to come. There's a lot of troubles in the world. I think this is an election year, right? I know, that's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. There's a lot of trouble in the world. Probably a lot more to come. And there's so much that can drag us down and discourage us. And not the least of which is our own sin. As Christians, we continue to struggle with sin. All of us. Present company included. We are tempted. And sometimes we give in to those temptations and we sin. We lose our temper. We fudge on the truth. We're embarrassed to speak on behalf of the Lord. We give in to lust. We give in to greed. And the result of this is we feel guilty. We feel ashamed. And we're tempted to try and hide our sin from God and from others. We are tempted to pretend that everything is all right, that nobody knows and nobody sees, and we seek to fill our life with all kinds of distractions so we don't have to think about our great failure before the Lord. But unconfessed sin will eat away at us. Unconfessed sin in the life of a believer, is like a corrosive acid that slowly eats away at our souls and our joy. We are at times filled with guilt and shame and fear, and we sometimes convince ourselves that God will not want to hear our confession of sin, that He's going to be frustrated with us, that He'll be angry with us, that He'll be fed up with us. Because here we are coming once again confessing our failure, confessing our sin. But that is all a lie. In our text this morning, we're going to see that the Lord actually invites us to come to Him with our sin. To confess it freely before Him. And promises to respond to our confession with forgiveness and the granting and restoration of joy in our relationship with Him. Our text this morning is Psalm 32. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 32. A wonderful psalm of assurance, of pardon, in response to confession. Let me read it for us. Psalm 32, a psalm of David. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality 
was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, on this new year, first Sunday of the new year, we want to start off right. And that means being right with you. We want to start off with a fresh perspective, a right perspective, a true perspective, shaped and molded by your word shaped and molded by your grace and your forgiveness. So ground us today in your truth. Ground us in your mercy and grace and forgiveness. And give us joy. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation that comes through forgiveness, which comes through confession. Thank you, God, for being so gracious and merciful and welcoming us into your presence, even with sin on our hands in order that we might confess find forgiveness and joy let us learn these lessons well today and live them in the year to come we pray in jesus name amen as we walk through this passage together and prepare our hearts for the lord's table i want us to see this morning five lessons for living in the joy of god's forgiveness Five lessons for living in the joy of God's forgiveness. In the new year, I want us all to live in the joy of God's forgiveness. And these lessons will help us. The first lesson comes in verses 1 and 2, and it is this. That those who are forgiven by God are truly blessed. Those who are forgiven by God are truly blessed. This great psalm of David begins with good news. It opens with an exultant exclamation, declaring the wonderful condition of all those who've been forgiven by God. David declares that the person who's been forgiven by God is blessed. This is their status. This is their condition. This is their standing before God and in the world. You are blessed. Blessed of God. Now this word blessed is one of those biblical words that is absolutely loaded with significance what does it mean to be blessed to be blessed is to experience the deep and settled happiness that only the lord can supply it is to know abiding joy it is to experience 
The contentment and spiritual vitality that comes from being rightly related to God and from walking in close fellowship with Him. In many ways, it's closely related to that biblical Hebraic idea of peace, shalom. That all is right, all is well. Because all is right with the Lord. The book of Psalms opens with this same word, blessed, in Psalm 1. Let me just remind you of what it says there. Psalm 1, verse 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And then he gives this vivid, beautiful description of what a blessed person's life looks like. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The blessed person here is described as being like a healthy tree, prospering and bearing fruit in all kinds of weather, all kinds of situations. Living a blessed life is a life I'm sure we all want to live. It's a life we all want to have. A life of thriving and growth and fruitfulness and prospering in all kinds of circumstances. Jesus in Matthew 5 in His Sermon on the Mount picked up this word, blessed, in this series of nine Beatitudes where He declares who the blessed person is and describes how it is that they are blessed. Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. According to Jesus, then, the blessed are those who possess the kingdom of heaven. They are those who are comforted. They are those who will inherit the earth. They are the satisfied. They are those who will receive mercy. They are those who will see God. They will be called the sons of God. And they are those whose reward in heaven is great. A truly blessed state indeed. So how does one enter into this blessed state, this blessed condition, this blessed status? Look again with me at verse 1 of Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The Bible teaches us that in our natural condition, our sin has left us condemned and outside the realm of God's blessing. Our first parents, Adam and Eve's sin have left us all guilty, have left us all outside the garden of God's blessing. David here uses three different terms to describe our sin that has left us outside of God's blessing. He uses the word transgression, sin, 
and iniquity. Now these words all overlap in many ways, but they do each provide a bit of detail that is helpful for better understanding the seriousness of our sin and the true nature of it. First, he uses the word transgression. That refers to rebellion or disloyalty against a king or authority. It is to willfully step over the clear boundaries God has set for us and to rebel against Him and His commandments. God is our Creator. He made us. He gave us life. And as the giver of life, as our Creator, He has the creative rights to say what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, how we should live and how we should not live. And all of us have transgressed His clear boundaries. Next, David used the word sin. Sin refers to missing the mark, like the mark of a target. It is to miss the target of God's moral will for us. God has established what the target is, what we should be aiming for, and all of us have allowed our sights to veer away from the target and to go after other things. Iniquity refers to crooked living or wrong choices. Now, the Bible is clear that we are all guilty of transgression, guilty of sin, and guilty of iniquity. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, and we've all turned aside to our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin has left us justly condemned, therefore, before a holy God. This is the opposite of being blessed. To be condemned is the opposite of being blessed. To be condemned is to be cursed. It is to be under the judgment of God. And yet, we also learn in the Scriptures that because of God's great love for us, through the gift of His Son, Jesus, we can experience a miraculous reversal of this curse, of this judgment. We can go from being the cursed of God to being the blessed of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross, our sins that once separated us from the blessing of God can be forgiven. And we can go from living under God's curse to living under God's active blessing. Our new status as being blessed of God is a result of one thing, being forgiven. Just as David used three different terms to describe our sin, even so in this passage he uses three different terms to describe our forgiveness. First of all, he describes our transgression as being forgiven. The word forgiven here has the idea of lifting or removing something, lifting a weight, removing a, an object that was sitting on our shoulders or sitting heavily on our chests. Literally, our sins are said to be carried away, never to be seen again. Our sins are carried away and dropped in the deepest sea. Next, David uses the picture of covering. Our sin is covered, concealing it from sight, hiding it so that it is not seen. This is the language of atonement, of covering. Make no mistake about it, this is not the language of sweeping things under the rug. Where they still exist and where they still could be pulled out 
and recalled. Not at all. But rather, this is the language of paying the penalty in full for these sins so that they are now covered by the blood of Jesus. The third description of our forgiveness is that our iniquity is not imputed to us. Our sins are no longer counted against us. This is the language of justification. Our sins are not counted against us and Jesus' righteousness is counted toward us. Jesus receives our sin. We receive His righteousness by faith. David adds that such a blessed person is someone in whose spirit there is no deceit. That is, they are honest with themselves and they are honest with God. The idea here is that they aren't hiding their sin. They're not playing fast and loose with sin. They aren't lying to themselves about the seriousness of their sin and downplaying their sin. They have come clean about their sin before God. Paul quotes these verses from Psalm 32 in Romans chapter 4, verses 6 and 8. Verses we'll get to in time in our study of Romans. In forgiving our transgressions, covering our sin and not counting our sins against us, God has delivered us from His curse and placed us squarely within the sphere of His blessing. Christian, do you realize today that you are blessed? Blessed of God. That is your status before Him. That is your condition. That is your circumstance. And nothing and no one can ever reverse that. Nothing and no one can ever change that. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then you are blessed. You are no longer cursed of God. You are blessed and irreversibly blessed. Christian, do you realize that your biggest problem in life has already been solved? The biggest challenge you'll ever face is the holiness of God. God in His grace and mercy has fully and sufficiently paid the price for your sins through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. Christian, do you realize that you are no longer cursed of God, that you're no longer condemned, that you're no longer guilty before Him? Instead, you are blessed. You are forgiven. Your sins are covered. And God will not count your sins against you. And He has instead imputed to you the very righteousness of Christ. You are blessed. Unbeliever. You're here today, maybe you're not sure you're a Christian. Maybe you're certain that you aren't. Why would you refuse the forgiveness that God offers to you so freely today? He offers to take you from that condition of being cursed and under His judgment, the wrath of God ready to befall you. You're just a heartbeat, a breath away from an eternity separated from God, suffering an eternal judgment justly deserved because of your sin and rebellion against the God who created you and gives you life and breath and all things. Why would you risk that another moment? Why not turn to God who's declared Himself to be merciful and compassionate and gracious and ready to forgive and pardon any who come to Him? 
He offers you that again today. In, even now, even in this moment, you don't have to wait another second. You, you can just quit listening to me. Turn to God and ask Him to be merciful to you and trust in his, the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, that that was a sufficient payment for all your sins and that He will accept you on the basis of His Son. Why wait? Why remain cursed? when you can be blessed immediately, irreversibly, eternally. That's the first lesson. We are blessed. Second lesson, those who refuse to confess their sins suffer turmoil. Turmoil in this life and certainly turmoil in the life that is to come. Verses 3 and 4. David now shares his own personal experience. There was a time when David refused to confess his sins to God. He was a believer. He was walking with God. He sinned. But for whatever reasons, he chose not to confess that sin. To keep it a secret. To keep it within. To keep it to himself. He kept silent about his sin and it sank him to the depths of despair. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. We can't be sure when this was in David's life. It could have been the occasion with his, of his sin with Bathsheba, of course. It could have been some other occasion. The reality is, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been there. For whatever reason, we've sinned, and for whatever reason, we're slow to confess that sin before the Lord, whether because of fear or whether because of guilt or whether because we love our sin more than we love the Lord. We sin and we're ashamed and we don't want to admit what we've done. We fear entering into God's presence. We feel like we're not ready for that or He's not ready for us. And so we keep quiet about it. Even as Christians, unconfessed sin has a debilitating effect on our lives. Unconfessed sin robs us of joy. It steals our peace and it saps our strength. Unconfessed sin grieves the Holy Spirit. It disturbs our conscience and it can even affect us physically. This is all by God's design, by God's merciful, gracious design to woo us back to Himself. God uses His Spirit to convict us of sin. He uses our conscience to cause us to feel the guilt of our sin. He even at times brings physical or other negative consequences to discipline us and correct us like a loving father disciplines his disobedient child. Christian, are you struggling right now? Do you feel depressed, discouraged, angry, exhausted, far from God? full of shame, fear, or guilt. One thing to consider is this. Is there some unconfessed sin in your life? Some sin that you're stubbornly, for whatever reason, holding on to, afraid to confess, afraid to come clean before the Lord? 
Sin isn't worth it. Sin is the great complicator in life. Sin is the great joy stealer of life. It will rob you of peace and it will sap your strength. So cut it loose. Be rid of it. Confess your sins and experience the fullness of God's blessing. Experience the joy once again of your salvation. That brings us to the third lesson. Those who confess their sins quickly are wise. Verses 5 through 7. At some point, David got wise. Though he had previously refused to confess his sin for a time, and that unconfessed sin was eating away at him and sapping his strength, and the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him like a burden too great to bear. But he broke. He finally came to his senses, as it were. Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Just as David has used three different words to describe his sin, transgression, sin, and iniquity, and just as he used three words to describe God's forgiveness of those sins, transgression forgiven, sins covered, iniquity not imputed, even so now he uses three words to describe his confession of sin. He says, I acknowledged my sin. The iniquity I did not hide, and I said I will confess my transgressions. To acknowledge your sin is to make it known. It's to bring it to the light. To take it out of the darkness, out of hiding, and into the light of day. It is to confess it to the Lord. And even at times, it is to confess it to others. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You ever feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling, going no further, that the heavens are brass? Could be unconfessed sin in your life. David quit hiding his sin. He came clean and he confessed. To confess our sins to God is to say the same things that God says about our sin. It means that we see our sin from God's perspective, to see it in all of its ugliness and all of its filth. It means that we don't minimize our sin. We don't make excuses for it. We own it. We confess it and we turn from it. That's what true confession looks like. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Confesses and forsakes. And what is the promise there? When we confess our sin and forsake it, we will find compassion with the Lord. Compassion, mercy, grace, acceptance, forgiveness. And the key to this acceptance and forgiveness is confession. Confession is the key that unlocks the doors of the storehouse of God's forgiveness. As Christians, the ultimate penalty for our sins has been paid. 
Amen? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet unconfessed sin can hamper our relationship with the Lord, even as Christians. And it can steal our joy and rob us of the intimacy that we once had in walking with Him. But God promises in His grace and mercy to forgive our sin whenever we confess it. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, if we say the same thing about our sins to God, that God says about our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise. What a promise for the believer. If we confess, He's faithful and righteous to forgive. There are no sins that God will not forgive if confessed. You're not going to shock Him. You're not going to cause the Lord to be taken aback off his throne by something you confess to him. He already knows about it, right? Our lives are open and laid bare before him with whom we have to do. He sees it all. He knows it all. So just confess it. Turn from it. And he will abundantly pardon and graciously forgive. The upshot of all this is seen in verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Since God forgives sin that is confessed, then you should confess your sins right now. Don't delay. God's grace and mercy should never be presumed upon. And so if you have the slightest, even the slightest inkling to confess your sins, don't put it off, don't delay, confess immediately. Don't even wait for this sermon to finish. Be better if you did it silently in your seat. But I don't know, we could probably all benefit, you know. You won't regret it. You'll never regret confessing your sins to the Lord. For God will prove Himself faithful and He will be a hiding place for you and a stronghold of deliverance. Deliverance from doubts. Deliverance from guilt. Deliverance from isolation from God and from others. Fourth lesson. Those who stubbornly continue in sin are foolish. Verses 8 and 9. With verse 8, we begin to hear directly from the Lord. God says, I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you the right way, the path of wisdom. The path of wisdom and blessing. And God promises to do this with His eye upon us, communicating His intimate care and concern for, the, for us. This is for your good, God says. This is for your blessing. So what is the instruction? Verse 9. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. When it comes to sin and confession of sin, don't be a stubborn mule. If you really want to control a horse or a mule, you've got to put a bit and bridle on them. 
Otherwise, they're going to do whatever they want, and they won't listen to your commands. They won't go where you want them to go. They won't come near to you. The Lord is saying, don't be stubborn and hold on to your sins and stay far from me. That's foolishness. And it may require me to put a bit and bridle on you to bring you near. There's an old story about a farmer who bought a mule from a neighbor. Maybe you've heard it. The neighbor insisted that this mule would do whatever the farmer said if he would just ask it nicely. So the farmer bought the mule, took it home, hitched it up to his plow. And the farmer, in a gentle tone, said, Giddy up. But the mule did nothing. So the farmer repeated the command, still in a nice, sweet voice, but a little louder this time, a little firmer. Giddy up. Still, the mule did nothing. The farmer then began to yell and to scream at the mule, but still the mule did not move a muscle. The farmer called the neighbor, and he came right away, and he saw the problem immediately. The neighbor picked up a two-by-four and hit the mule over the head and then whispered in the mule's ear, and immediately the mule began plowing the straightest furrows the farmer had ever seen. The farmer said to his neighbor, I thought you said all I had to do was talk nicely to the mule and he'd do whatever I asked him to. Well, said the neighbor, you just have to get his attention first before talking to him. Unconfessed sin will make us more and more stubborn, more and more resistant over time to the Lord and to His ways. And if we persist in our stubborn ways, the Lord might just need to take a two-by-four to get our attention. He might just need to put a bit and bridle in our mouth in order for us to come near Him. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Confess your sin. God is faithful and just. He will forgive your sin if you will but confess. Fifth lesson and final lesson today those who trust in the lord have reason for joy and rejoicing david reminds us here in verse 10 that sin is never free it always comes with a cost he says many are the sorrows of the wicked this is echoing a theme that cuts throughout scripture the way of the transgressor is hard There is tribulation and distress for every soul who does what is evil. The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Sin is the great complicator of life. Sin makes life harder. It destroys relationships. It twists and corrupts and enslaves. It takes what is beautiful and makes it ugly. As the old saying goes, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you far more than you want to pay. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Sorrows both in this life and many, many more sorrows in the life to come. That's the bad news about sin. But the good news is this. He who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness will surround him. That's good news. To be surrounded, 
not by an enemy, but by a God who is determined to bless us. To be surrounded by God's loving kindness. Oh, to be surrounded by such a one as the Lord who gave His own Son to die for us. Loving kindness is God's loyal love. It is His covenant love. It is His hesed. It is God's covenant love that brings us forgiveness of sin and peace with God once and for all. This covenant love has been made possible by the blood of Jesus, establishing the new covenant in His blood, which we will celebrate in just a moment. The result of God's loving kindness surrounding us comes in verse 11. We can be glad in the Lord and rejoice. We can shout for joy because God has declared us righteous and restored our hearts to uprightness. All is well between me and the Lord. And that results in peace. That results in joy. That results in rejoicing. Because your biggest problem has been totally solved. Christian, you have reason to shout for joy this morning and every day of the year. For God has declared you righteous and is making you upright in heart. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Nothing can ever change that. So why not experience the fullness of it by quickly turning from sin, confessing it, unleashing the forgiveness of God in your life, and thereby enjoying the fullness that God intends us to enjoy. Joy unceasing and full of glory. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation through your forgiveness, which comes by means of confession. So let us go into the new year living in the joy of God's forgiveness. Not cowering from fear or trying to hide our sins from God. Let us quickly confess our sins and experience the certainty of God's forgiveness and the joy that inevitably results. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son, Jesus. Greatest gift ever given with the greatest result ever realized. So that a whole people can go from being cursed of God and outside the sphere of your blessing, outside the garden of your blessing, can be transferred into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And with that kingdom transfer, a transfer from cursing to blessing, a transfer from judgment to forgiveness, thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness, your obedience, your substitution your all-sufficient sacrifice. We remember you now as we turn to your table. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.